kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, by Carlo. Happy Today, Thursday. Today, we're pleased to... Happy what? Happy Thursday. I thought you said happy birthday. Oh, happy Thursday. Okay. We're pleased to have with us a guy that I met a little while ago. He's an entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. He's a podcaster. And James Ulcher. How do you pronounce your name? It's like, I'll touch her fast. Ulcher. 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 I'll touch her fast. Well, Deedle could be Deedle, too, my name. And I really appreciate it. I know you got your own big podcast. We've been picking up with this. We had a lot of exciting guests the last few weeks. And uh, I'm excited about talking to you because I learned a little bit about you. I met you. And then all of a sudden, I started doing my little due diligence you're one quite interesting guy. Well, Bo, I've been following your career for probably over 20 years, so I'm, I'm happy you think I'm interesting. I have, I have questions for you. Well, you know, you got, you got all these companies you found, and then you wrote 20 books. When did yeah. you have time to do all this? Uh, you know, you write every day. Let's say you write 1,000 words a day. At the end of the year, that's 365,000 words. That's the equivalent of six books a year. So you just pull one of them out. You can publish a book a year. Well, you must have a lot of time on your hand. You know, I just, I enjoy, I'm sure you feel the same way. You, If you enjoy everything you do, it's not that you have a lot of time on your hand. It's that you have you have all the time in the world if you enjoy everything you do. Now, you went, you went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to Cornell. I hate to be reminded of that. Uh, I don't really believe that college is a great source of education. I think it's actually just a way for parents and kids to go bankrupt while their kids party all the time and learn nothing. And then they get out of college, and that's when the real education begins, first on learning everything they learned in college, and then learning that the real world is 180 degrees different. Well, we, you know, I learned one thing is I was not able to go to college I started working as construction when I got out of high school, and then I became a cop and all. I always wanted to go to like a college, but become a gym teacher, but I couldn't afford it at that time. But then, when people asked me about my education, I said, "Well, I do have a doctorate, doctorate in the streets of reality." And a lot of times, you know, people come into play with all their book knowledge, their masters, their PhDs, and all that. But common sense, they lack a lot of actuality of life. To me, you know, you got to weigh everything out. Everything is not cut and dry. Things are, you have to look at things, different sides of it. That's one of the things I've learned in life, I guess. Uh, you Cornell for computer science. Why the hell didn't you get into computer security, one of the largest fields in the world as far as most profitable, develop a little software? can knock it down and make billions of dollars, no? Well, I did. Uh, I, I started my first company in the mid-90s. Nobody had, no companies had websites then, so I would go into like AmericanExpress.com or Con Edison or Sony or BMG, whatever. You were buying up the domains? No, I would build their websites. I built the uh, first website for AmericanExpress.com, HBO.com, TimeWarner.com, site after site. So, so I did go into the business that way. Then, um, and now I'm invested in some security companies and I'm fascinated by it. I know the technology, but, uh, you know, so I, I don't like to actually run a business. I just like to be invested now. I'm, well, I'm bad at running businesses. You know, uh, going back to the 1990s, 
Uh, I used to go up to, I still do, go up to Rayo's, and I was doing pretty well then. I had a, a fish oil company. I had a technology company called Softworks. We sold for 200 million bucks, and I had a lot of money, but I was like a guy with a lot of money that didn't know what I was doing. So I used to be at the bar up there with Nikki, the bartender up in Rayo's, and a guy would come out, hey, Bo, I got a great stock for you. It's only a dollar share, so I'd call him my broker. I'd say, buy 200,000 shares tomorrow, this, that. He goes, Bo. There's no float. I said, I don't care about float. Just buy this stuff. And I I was probably one of the victims of the dot-com. You, you, you and me both. I mean, here I was. I made money from the dot-com thing. I knew better. I cashed out all cash. And then I figured, oh, I'm such a genius now. I might as well invest all this in what I know. And then, boom, well, everything I figured, collapsed. I figured, like, I figured this way. You invested the four companies. And if one of them pops, the multiples would be so enormous that I'd be a genius. And that was one of the things I did. And I, I lost probably very conservative $10 million over the period of time in the 1990s with these foolish investments because everyone was looking for that golden ring that was going to go and catapult up. You know, and then, like I said, we the sold unicorn. Yeah, we, we sold a company called Softworks for $200 million, my partner Danny and I, and uh, we had $60 million bucks in a little fund. And I go to Ken Langone and Kenny Langone, I said, Kenny, help me invest this. He goes, ah, Bo, you're going to end up losing that. Yeah, we did lose it. I invested into a company called... Uh, uh, um, the wolf, called the wolf box. Uh, it was a three tier firewall company. A cobalt had just been sold for two billion bucks. This technology was better, but you know, it was after the fact. And uh, Netwolves was the name of the company. Huh. And uh, we invested money there. Then I invested into an eyeglass company with eyeglass uh, 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 technology over the Internet where you look inside and it prescribes your glasses. Then mall net, uh, mall, uh, 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 mall, mall, uh, in big malls where you'd have kiosks, where you would have participation with the consumers and all. I invested there. Every one of them took a shitter. And we did piss away the sixty million bucks. Well, you, you, again, um, I I think I took about fifteen of my own money down to zero, and yeah. and and I didn't set aside any money for savings because I thought, well, I'm a genius, and so I lost everything and had to start from scratch after making all this money. So and how did you bounce back? How did you get the wherewithal to come back better and stronger than ever? You know, it's it's. I think a lot of people wear. Failure is almost like a badge of honor, but the reality is it just totally is the worst nightmare ever. Like you have to feed your kids and you're dead broke and everybody used to think you were smart. So now, and I bet this happened to you, but like once you, when you have the money, everybody's your friend. Oh, when you, yeah. when you lose the money, nobody is your friend. So you have no more job opportunities, no opportunities for anything. And so I had to basically from scratch recreate my career. So I, I wrote some software to model the stock market so I would take my emotions out of it. And I started investing very tiny in the stock market again and had people invest with me. And I built up a little bit of a, a hedge fund business. And then I started writing about all of my failures and mistakes and, and what I was doing to try to get back. And that built up uh, a readership. I started writing for different places. So I built kind of two careers at the same time, combined them every now and then to start another company when I had an idea, would sell that company. 
would lose all the money again. And this happened four or five times. I started a wow. social media company. I started a, a mental health facility for out, teenage alcoholics. I started all sorts of things. And then finally, I would say I got a little smarter and, and started to say, Hey, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep losing my health every single time I make money. I can't be in bad emotional relationships every time I make money. I can't give up on my creativity. I still have to keep moving forward every time I make money. And that, that's what saved me is having a more positive attitude ultimately. Yeah. And you know what I, you know what I learned, uh, James is that when you're on top, Oh, they all flock. I'll never forget my 50th birthday was thrown at Cipriani's Wall Street. My partners threw it for me. We had everyone there from Trump, three United States senators, every chairman of every major corporation, some of the Redstone, and not Bill Gates yet, but some of the Redstone, Warren <laughs> Buffett. Everybody was there. And uh, uh, it was like I was like the the man. I had a lot of money. I had the Bentley uh, convertible, and then I ended up buying a Bentley GT and Ferraris, and I'm going, going, going. As soon as that left, the people left. And you know what? You call them up. There must be some sort of a hotline, Boats in Trouble hotline. Right. Did you feel that too? When people knew you took a little bit of a slide? Absolutely. And then they and think. You would call them and they would say, uh, uh, I got to go. And it was like a hotline that you were in trouble. You felt, did you sense that? Yeah, because I think, I think a lot of people, and I think I did this, I think a lot of people equate net worth with self-worth. So for people who do that, when your net worth suddenly goes down, they used to look up to you. Now it's like, oh, don't, James is trouble. Don't yeah, go near him. Because you're out around trying to get some resources, and the word goes out there, oh, he's in trouble. Like, I'll never forget, I sat down with Steve Cohen, my dear friend Steve Cohen from SAC Capital, and I met him over his house over in Greenwich, and Steve liked me and all that, and I said, you know, Steve, right now I bought a company, this is probably 2008, when the, the, everything was hitting the fans, and I said, well, you know, I'd love you to come in, I have a business, successful business, and I'd love you to come in as an investment partner. Now, this is a guy who worked at that time 12 billion bucks, and he liked me, we were good friends, flying around private jets, when everything was going good, and then all of a sudden, they like, they do the moonwalk away, and I'll never forget... <laughs> A lot of these people, a lot of my wealthy friends started doing the moonwalk. I just want to, I want you to find out, Carl, is there any kind of a, uh, a high alert? Like a blacklist? Like a blacklist in trouble? I think they, I think they just, they just smell it. Like they, there's a little bit more desperation. Like it, 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 you know, and again, when you when you're back on top, because this has happened to me several times. Uh, and they when you're back, be around yeah. Then they act like, oh, nothing ever bad happened. Like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we should my, do lunch. My, my big thing, though, I thought I was the popular one. I have something that everyone wants. I have the original Rayo's table on Thursday night, the big table in the front. I thought all these guys, Leonardo DiCaprio, everybody loves Bo Deedle. They all want to come to dinner with him at Rayo's restaurant up in East Harlem. And all these business guys, Dick Fold, uh, David Kamansky from Merrill Lynch, everybody was hanging with Bo, rah, 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 Dick Grasso and Michael Bloomberg. Everybody wanted to be Bo's friend. But then as soon as you take a couple of trip steps, then everybody, like I said, backs out. But the key then is to not... Blame, like, yes, that's a betrayal. And the key 
is to move past that, is to just not look back and say, oh, all these people betrayed me after I did all these things for them. Yeah. The key is just to move forward and find the right people again to be around. And, 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 and you'll find that there, there's a, there's a better class of people each time you, you go through this. And then finally, oh, you find the right group of people. And these are the people that grow up together and really make you successful. You Not know, necessarily monetary success, although that's part of it, but just well, successful as a human monetary, being. Monetary, you know, everybody says, oh, money isn't everything, but money's a lot. Well, a lot because you have a fact of not worrying, using part of your brain to worry about finances when it's all clear. You can think a lot clearly when you're not worried about your, your payroll and all that. Yeah, I always say money doesn't solve all your problems, but it solves your money problems. <laughs> yeah. So it's well, true. You know, a friend of my, my late departed friend, Charlie Camella, uh, Fetco Steel. Uh, I'll never forget when things were not going well for me. He, we went out to dinner and he goes, listen to me, stop it, Bo. I don't want to ever hear you complain. Listen to me. You always talk positive about everything. Nobody wants to be around a loser. Yeah, if you're complaining about this person or, oh, the market. Uh, I got screwed by that yeah. guy. Oh, I was always there for that guy. I look for help and he ain't there. Right. No, complaining is draining and not just on you, on all the people around you. Every day, even when you're at your lowest point, you have to wake up and do the work because no one, no successful person ever wait, says, man, I'm so glad complaining every day worked out as a strategy for me. Like that never ha has been said. <laughs> Well, you know, and, 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 and part of my entrepreneurship and, you know, Carlos, like my, he came in with me over, how long, a year and a half ago? Yeah. And Carlos, like an entrepreneur type guy, and he watches what I do in the movie business. We got the big movie coming out, The Irishman. And then the next thing from that, we're getting movie roles. People die to get movie roles and, and they call me up for this. Now a series with Scorsese. I mean, you were in, so many, let's not forget you were in Goodfellas. Well, that started there, yeah, but my my point is, I never give up. I never give up. You know, I'm, I'm hopping on a plane next week to Dubai on a major case. I mean, I just had knee surgery. Do I want to fly to Dubai? No, but you got to do what you got to do. Then there was another one. We, uh, we invested money, uh, $9 million. You know what keystroke encryption is? Yeah. <clears throat> there was three major patents for keystroke encryption. Everyone's infringing upon it. So we, my partner, Danny Del Giorno and I from Softworks, we bought the patent for 9 million bucks. This is a while ago. So my relationship with First Data, Aon, and also with Verizon. Now we're on we're on the cusp of very possible. The great part about software, it's not labor intensive. I love software where you download the shit. If you download five million pieces of software and you charge five dollars a month, you figure it out. And you know one thing: being in a technology space, take security technology, they start with twenty times multiple on earning. So I mean, I, I'm not start. that smart. I'm not that smart, but I know one thing. If it's not labor intensive and you just push a button and everyone downloads it, I like that kind of business. Well, and also like you're involved in, in cybersecurity that people don't really realize that's where the war is being fought right now. Yeah. And it's fought in the cyber world, the data world. Like every day the U.S. is being attacked by multiple countries. We're attacking yeah. multiple countries. It's all in cybersecurity. You mentioned key, keystroke encryption. You know, how easy is it for, for you as a detective and as a, you know, you, you're on all these major cases. How easy is it for you to, to, to 
get the keystrokes of people who are unaware that their computer is being attacked. Well, and there was a major si- breach with Capital One. It was just in the news last yeah, week. Yeah, well, you, you know, know so it's very simple. People don't realize, you know, when you have your, you, you get an email from your daughters, your sons, your relatives, you don't know where that email's originating from. And then they piggy, piggyback and they get these day loggers and they, they, they're out there. And what they do is they piggyback into your computer system. Then they lay dormant there and they set the malware in there and they watch. Now they watch for your account numbers when you start keystroking. They watch for your security code when you keystroke. Then they take that information and they put it onto the dark web and they sell this information to the criminal element. It's so prevalent. We had a case not too long ago, a CEO of a major drug company, his check was being re-diverted into another account completely because of an erroneous email that he opened up. And then they just piggyback it in. So cybercrime, there's not a silver bullet for, for, for fixing it. You have uh, three-tier firewalls. I worked with RSA, probably one of the leading yeah. security companies for 10 years. You'll never stop hacking. But the keystroke encryption does one thing. If they breach in there, the way I can describe it to the people listening, it's like someone breaking into your house, but everything is welded down. You can't get the TV set. You can't remove any of the pertinent information. So it's just another tool, you know, James? Yeah, you know, the problem is a little bit is that the attackers, the let's say the, the, the bad guys, are always smarter than the good guys, unfortunately, yeah. in this domain. But at least... If you do keystroke encryption, you save yourself from kind of like the not so good uh, hackers, or or let's right. say the, the wife the, spying on the husband, the husband spying on the wife. You protect yourself against right. all and that. And the account numbers are the big things because once they gain your bank account numbers, yeah. and then some of these things you're doing, you're putting your social security in, and they're mirroring that. Then when they take that information, they get it out to the dark web and they sell it on the dark web, and people don't understand. Oh, I was hacked. Yeah, because all your information is being uh, uh, accessible to people. Yeah, Yeah, and look, and and the government doesn't want to stop the dark web because that's how they get all their information. So they're on there more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's certainly an area that I think is probably in a boardroom of a major corporation. I really believe that cyber security and cyber threat has to be in the, the one or two most important things of a corporation along with revenue. What do you think, Carl? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, if you look at the Huawei uh, scandal that's going on right now, you know, there's a major problem with uh, a Chinese government that can control these companies that are stealing data and, you know, yeah, and you know, you know what worries me too is even all the, imp- theft. All the imported issue. stuff that we're getting. You know, I know one thing. You look at our, our, our fighter jet, our F-35, our most advanced jet. You look at China's most advanced jet, they look like brothers. Every aspect of our military has been knocked off. All our defense companies have been knocked off. China's sitting up there with satellites. They can fire missiles down. They can take out our satellites. Just imagine... Not having GPS for our military, you can't fly a jet. I mean, these are this is the this is the scary part about the future. 
is cybersecurity. They can shut us down. They can shut our energy. Imagine if the East Coast goes dark. What they could do is they could hold us up for ransom. And what would we pay to get the lights back on? Well, and for all we know, that's that's happened. I mean, it's certainly like you mentioned Huawei. The they're supplying the five G network to every you know telecom provider in the U S. at some point. So China is certainly going to have a backdoor into all of our data at some point. And there's just and nothing we can really to do to stop one, it. They won't have to fire one. One shot. They could do it cyber. It's scary. It's, it's something that is going to touch upon us and our children for the future because this is really this is really scary to me because I've been uh, in, involved with it. And I said, wow, people don't even realize how we have the greatest brains in the world. We have our Microsoft. We got our Bill Gates and all these people. We should be utilizing the public sector to advance our security technology, not just our military, not just our NSA. We should use those brains of the public sector. We built the Internet, but we never put a safeguard how to protect the Internet. Well, the Internet was never made with security in mind. Like when they first sent messages on the Internet in 1972, these were just academics sending messages. They didn't care if someone hacked into their email. They weren't saying anything. So they really built it to be as open as possible, which creates the opportunity for building Billions of ways to attack it, and mm-hmm. that's what we all live on now. Um, you know, let me ask you a question: When you're on a case and you've done all the basic background work, and yeah. you've even like followed the person for a while, at what point do you say to yourself, "You know what? I need to kind of, I need to let loose my cyber guys to, to figure this this case out." Well, you know, that's I've been in business 34 years in the private investigating side. You know, there's a fine line there, you know. Because there's a regulatory line. Yeah, if you cross that, not even regulatory, criminal line. Yeah. I mean, you have to understand something. The capabilities are all present that we could utilize that thing. But I, I kind of been around for 34 years because of that reason. And we investigate some of the highest profile cases. The thing that comes to play is even with the Roger Ailes thing. I mean, with this phony movie that this Gabriel Sherman put out about the loudest voice in the room or whatever. And he mentions it, and it's depicted in the movie of me sitting in a room with Roger Ailes about me doing dirty deals, black ops, uh, tapping phones and computers. Never happened. Never happened. My firm is a firm that's been around. It's a responsible firm. It's a firm that gets hired by law firms to do litigation support defense. Everyone has a right to defense. If you were had an allegation against you, you should have a right to defense. That's what we do. But that's not the way I'm depicted in this loudest voice in the room. And I called Gabriel Sherman. I said, you know, Gabriel, you put in the, in the New York Times when I was running for mayor that I was following you and your wife for Roger Ailes. I'm telling you, if I did, you could kiss my ass. I'll tell you right out. I never did follow you or your wife. Maybe your wife... Maybe her boyfriend was following you because I wasn't. And I got really mad. I said I was going to file some sort of legal uh, challenge against him. And he just puts it in there anyway. And then all of a sudden, black ops. And like I'm banned from uh, the, uh, the what's the name of the family from Fox? Uh, Murdoch's. The Murdoch, the two Murdoch boys there. They banned me in their mind, in their little minds. Oh, Bo had to be involved with Roger. Never, ever was I involved with Roger in any of these things that they made allegations? Then when I ran for May, they go, 
Bo hates woman. That's why I was trying to find dirt on woman. No, how about try to find the truth to defend somebody? And I mean, it, it hurts me that I'm categorized in that way. And it's still, if you the, Google it, you, you still see that garbage. The, the problem is, is part of you, part of what you do is you stand out because you're good at what you do. You you have this rough edge to you, and but people, ethically, people like that. Ethically, I don't cross the right, line. Right, but when you stick out, you're going to get hammered, and that's what's going to happen over and over. The more you stick out. Yeah, well, I mean, look at when I ran for mayor, that was like it was like the emperor's clothes came off because a perfect example is I had. I had three houses on Long Island. I had an apartment in the city. 2006, I was out of the city 188 days. So I was there. It was 125,000 to 4% taxes, city taxes. And I said I wasn't in the city. I fought it for 12 years. Then when I decided I'm going to run for mayor, I said, I better get rid of this tax thing. So I called up the tax per, uh, New York State. I said, here's a uh, 250000 I'll pay you $25,000 a month offering compromise to get it off. Okay. I pick up the paper on Easter Sunday, front page, Bo O's, O-W-E-S. And my picture's on it like I got indicted. My daughter calls me, Dad, you get arrested? And if they never gave the facts, never was there any kind, even the person from the New York State taxes, Bo was sorry about this. I said, well, how does this get released like this? Where is my comeback from a front page of the Daily News that I'm a, a deadbeat like Al Sharpton? I'm not a deadbeat. My taxes are paid, and that's it. But my problem is whenever you're... Uh, pro high profile, they're gonna gun. They're gonna yeah. gun for you. Yeah, they won't like you because people. Are, most people, I would say, greater than ninety percent, yeah. are small and want to bring everybody up who's up down. That's right, and everyone's jealous, you know. And the whole thing, even with these movies that I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be involved. A lot of people are jealous. Well, how come Bo got that movie part? How come he's this that? Hey, it's out there for everybody. You just got a hard work. You know, you got to work hard. No, that that's the thing. That's why if you ignore the noise, what the signal is is really you staying physically healthy, you staying emotionally healthy in your own relationships and partnerships and so on, you being creative. Like there's a reason why you're involved in so many different projects. You're creatively thinking of these things and you having some kind of, I don't want to use the word spiritual, but some kind of sense that you can't control the things you can't control. And moving forward each day with that outlook really is how you bounce back to your earlier question, Carlo. Like you, you, you have to just move forward, do the work. Everyone else who's complaining, everyone who's just jealous, they just get left behind, even though it's annoying as hell. This, so, this choose yourself philosophy, what is that all about? So it's basically the idea of what we've been talking about. Everyone's always going to be a gatekeeper. Let's say you, Bo Deal, you want to write a book and everyone's nervous. No, no, we're, we're not going to publish that book. Okay, I'm going to choose myself. I'm going to write the book anyway and I'm going to upload it to Amazon. I'm going to work out my own deals. I'm going to publish that book. Let's say you wanted to make a movie. No one wants to make your movie. The four studios, whatever, don't want to make your movie. No problem. I'm going to film the movie. I'm going to put it on YouTube. I'm going to do it as cheap as possible. Just Boom, keep it's on going. YouTube. Just keep going. Just keep doing things. Do lots of things. Take care of yourself so you have the energy to do things. And be creative every day so you have things to do. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you mentioned before the difference between self-worth and net worth. Uh, and it seems like you have a very holistic philosophy on you know, being 
uh, successful as well as happy. So how did you come to, you know, get this, you know, you mentioned having good relationships, doing things that inspire you and make you creatively happy. So how did you arrive at Sure. That? Well, like Bo was just mentioning, he's at Rayo's restaurant. He met, you mentioned, uh, Dick Grasco, uh, David Kaminsky, uh, the Lehman Brothers guy, I forgot his name. Dick Fold. Yeah, Dick Fold. Okay. Were those guys successful? Yeah. They had hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars. Would we consider them successes now? No, they brought on the financial crisis. So to some extent, I'm not, not Dick Grasso, but the, the, maybe Dick Fold was involved and, and who knows. But, you know, success is, you certainly wouldn't be doing a podcast if all you were thinking about was financial success. You also have other interests. You want, you have a vision of the world and how it should be. And so you have a podcast that expresses that vision. This is a way of choosing yourself rather than letting the newspapers and the politicians dictate the vision to you, which happens to 99% of the population. You have your own vision and now you have a platform, this podcast and other places for getting that vision out there. So part of success is how you, how, how, how you define success. It's, it's again a way of choosing yourself. Sure, money's important. I need some money to, to take care of things. But I also want to have, I want to be relevant. So I'm going to have a podcast, or I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to write articles, or I'm going to make a movie. So, so people could see what I believe in and why that I, I think that could help the world. So that's another way to measure success. Certainly, success as a in a family is, is important. And, you know, however else you define success, there's many ways to define it. But, and, and I'm not saying money's not important at all. Money's really important, but some, but it's also bad to think money is the only thing that's important. That's the downfall of so many people, including myself, time after time until I stop doing that. Yeah. And, and again, choosing yourself is to say, these five things are important to me. These are the skills I need to get good at those five things. This is how I need to live my life to get, to get better. And, and, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't own a comedy club in New York City if I wanted to make a billion dollars uh, or I wouldn't have a podcast. Those things kind of get in the way of making a lot of money because they take time and resources, but you also do the things you enjoy you and love. enjoy, like even with the acting stuff. But, you know, as far as my thing is, I love to look at a successful person and, and kind of like a sponge, take all that out and, and, and learn from that because they made a lot of mistakes. And by learning from someone who made mistakes, maybe you don't have to go and make those mistakes. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. It's sort of like when you learn from people who make mistakes and when you learn from people who are lazy, those are oh. the most valuable lessons. Because laziness also... If they're going to be successful and lazy, that's a hard skill. <laughs> you have to learn how to do things quickly and correctly while still having time to watch Game of Thrones at night or whatever it is you, you're, you're lazy with. So, so, and, and mistakes, you learn, okay, this is what worked for me when I was successful. This was what, what didn't work when I was failing. So you start to learn, okay, I got to stop doing these things that always cause me to fail. If there, there's a, I don't know anybody out, but most people are ashamed, so they don't admit of the mistakes they make, so it's hard to learn from them. I'm always very outgoing in my writing, in my in my in my art. That uh, these are the mistakes I've made. This is how I want to express it. People might hate me because I'm being honest about it, but I want I want people to learn, and I have fun doing it that way. I have fun expressing myself. So you have to have a real honest self awareness in order to you know recognize those mistakes in order to move forward. Yeah, every day because it's not like you you correct all the mistakes once and then everything's a bright and sunny future afterwards. It's like every day you learn a little bit. Every day someone oh why is that guy saying this about me? And you have to ch check yourself. Uh, well, to, you have to you have to learn too. I mean. Uh, I, I have social networks, this Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I don't do a damn thing. Carlo is me. 
Because I'll be honest with you, I just think that this thing is the ruination of time that you could spend sure. on very positive things. My children, everyone is now controlled by these iPhones, and the waste of time on these iPhones is so enormous, you're taken away from productivity. God knows in a regular office, if you have 100 people working, how many hours of garbage are being wasted on these on these uh, iPhones. I mean, think about it. The average person in the U.S. spends three hours a day on social media. Not I. So, I, And I agree, not me as well. After a year, though, that's 1,000 hours. 20 years, that's 20,000 hours. That, you know, there's yeah, that we whole... You could have wrote a couple of books. You could write... Uh, you, could, you could master the violin <laughs> a, and become a professional tennis player in the 20,000 hours. So it's there's so much you're giving up. And why, why would you want to read something negative? Because... Jealous people on it. I'm sure they're saying nasty things about me all the time. Why would I want to use a little bit of my brain to worry about? When I first started on the Twitter thing, I was answering people back. And getting I said, angry. What are you getting to strangers. Angry? And I said to myself, what am I doing? I don't even want to see it. So I tell Carla, if it's business related, let me know. You, you monitor all these social medias. And if it's something important, you let me know. But I can't be bothered with that. And I tell you the truth. I hate this cell phone, I hate social media. All it is is a platform for people to hide behind. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm not sure what social media gains someone. So it's not like, oh, you're suddenly become famous because everybody likes you yeah. on Twitter. Like you have to actually do things in the real world to have an impact. You're you like these Kardashians. Who cares about Kim Kardashian, what she likes and all? I mean, they've taken this thing to the utmost. 50 million viewers. I mean, where is people's lives to care about Kim Kardashian if she sucked her stomach in and waist got smaller? I mean, I just, it just, it, it aggravates me so much that people put so much energy into this garbage. Yeah, and that's, that's really the key to everything is energy where you, you only have when you wake up in the day you only have so much energy right. by the end of the day that's why we're tired we're depleted of energy so it's where you put spend that energy is your most valuable investment and everything kind of follows from that if you invest that energy well everything follows from that those are the investments that pay off that compound that that create success because like if i was following all these social media and someone said something negative and i'm going back and forth that's going to take away from any positive that I could think about and I'm going to be thinking about retaliation and yeah. all this I got to get back at that person oh that person said this about me you know what I don't want to know and you want to know anybody listening out there Sorry, I don't look at my social media. Carlo looks at it. You want to get a message to me? That's fine. Carlo, how many negative messages he gets a day? Not really too many. There's a lot of positive. I yeah. always let him know the positive ones, but you know, not too many haters. What do you do with the haters? You just like just mute them. Just mute them. don't even answer. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, it's just something that I see my own daughter now. She got divorced and she's dating online, and all these losers are online, and they're looking for one thing. And I mean, the Tinders and all these things, and it's just so much of energy that's wasted. And then you're you 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 go on a date, and then the guy turns out to be a zero, and all they're doing is looking to see what they could get out of you. Eh, it's just I just think people should focus more on success, and success doesn't come easy. Success is hard work. You know, if you're if you're a person who is complacent, that's the death of success. I I agree. Every day it's getting up and figuring out how to 
be a little bit better than the day before in terms of how you spend your energy, how you, uh, what you're creative about, how you're helping others. Because ultimately, when you create value for others, that creates success for, for other people, which ripples back to you. Yeah, but you know also, too, like Carlo's in with me. He was in the real estate business before. But now he's like a very pivotal thing because he's learning from me what's going on. I mean, to take that experience and gain off of that for your future, Carlo, that's what I'm saying is you gain. You don't make a move right away. You gain it more and more. See, wherever I fell down it, that you don't have to cross that river. And then taking that... In the business we're in, you understand better than I do right now with the advent of the we own investigations.com. We're about to great. go online with people powered by Bo Deedle. They all know me. I have a brand. Now we're going to do backgrounds like ninety nine ninety nine simple backgrounds. And if you want to go deeper, you click on, you come back. It's a great thing because I should use that. And Carla developed this. And this is something that... You develop these things, and you can make these things happen, and great revenue could come out of this all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at how much money... Everybody wants to do background checks on people they meet. So there's all these like websites. Oh, for just nine ninety nine, you can yeah. get all get you their get, get their court records or whatever. But then they start charging you twenty nine a month. You don't realize it till later. And you're right; they don't even give you anything. They accurate. don't even give you like. And, and part of the thing when we developed this, we let them know exactly what we could do. Anybody tells you could do a fifty state criminal background on somebody for ninety nine ninety nine, impossible. And we're not going to have it. That we're going to advertise exactly what we. Can could give you if you want to go further you could communicate with one of our detectives and we'll give you a, a menu of what it will cost you but to, to sell something that you're not giving them the product that's a wrong thing to do yeah no and that's a great uh, domain name domain names are still valuable bought, I bought, my daughter jacqueline bought it 25 years ago for twenty five thousand dollars investigations.com and i just said you know what there's so many of these search things on it but when people recognize powered by bo deedle well that's that idiot detective i'd rather him do it he has a name he has a brand rather than xyz investigations right yeah that's smart so that's what, years that's what carlo has been developing we're when are we kicking it off carlo? it's it'll be live in a couple maybe two months well, i mean this is this was your baby and i mean this was a great foresight so he's learning as he's here learning how to utilize a brand and getting that brand out there well and what i'm also seeing is carlo you were working in real estate now you're working with bo you brought your creativity in. you spent energy on figuring out how to help bo and now you're sitting here on this podcast with him you you built up your success by helping someone who came before you and i think that's an such a that's a valuable lesson for for Absolutely. everybody yeah i mean look at you know, and eventually, you know, he's going to pass you. I know. You'll, and then, you know what? And I would be happy to pass the baton on and make the business go higher. And then I recognize to see how the value of the business came up and say, now it's time for Uncle Bo to retire and pass the baton around. That, that's a valuable skill, too, because I have found so many times that mentors, they're, they're happy to mentor. But once the mentee starts to succeed, Boom! The mentor, the the, the animal comes out. Well, yeah. it's not the animal come out. It's the, the the dependency, the dependency that you have on somebody. You know where you're learning as you're going along. You can't learn everything in a couple of years. But all those mistakes that I made in the last thirty four years in business, you don't have to make those mistakes. You could see where I made those mistakes. You step right over it. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's. I think for me, that's why I wrote the book. Choose yourself. That's why I do my podcast is to explore 
my own mistakes and then the mistakes of others and what lessons can be learned. Because it's, it's so incredibly important. People don't want to admit their mistakes. They want to blame. They want to complain. They, 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 bl- they don't take ownership of what happened. You always need to take ownership of what, of what, of what you did. Mm-hmm. Because I'm certainly, Every single time I've lost money, every single time I've lost a relationship or a business didn't do so well, I ask myself first, what did I do wrong? Because there's oh, and I always find the answers. But if you don't ask, you won't find the answers. So comedy club now. You're a comedian also. You know, I, yeah. I go back with Ricky Newman, Catch a Rising Star. Yeah, yeah. I used to drink in that joint uh, with a guy named Robin Williams. <laughs> and in the 1970s, Pat Benatar started there, remember? Jerry you know, Seinfeld Pat? started there? Yeah, but I remember, uh, Robin Williams and I were really good friends and uh, I think the most fun, the funniest comedian of all times got it. Robin Williams got to be in the top five. Yeah, absolutely. Times. So how did you get into, I can't, I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm, I'm I look funny. No, I'm, I mean, uh, your hair looks funny. You got too much hair. That's one thing. But how do you become a comedian now? Well, I think you're a pretty serious guy. Yeah, but you know, you have to find, I think that the, the truth is in finding the absurdity in everything. So, you know, most things in the world are pretty absurd when, when you look at it. And, so what and, kind of comedy when you do a, a skit, you still do it now? Oh yeah, I do. I, I'll go up, I'll go on stage five nights this week. Well, let's, let's give us a little bit of, I, I'd love the audience to listen. Give us. Well, a, I can't do, I can't, I'm not going to do uh, uh, a joke, but I'll tell you the types of things I might right. look at. So for instance, I have five kids, some my kids, some step kids. There's always with kids, there's always stories. Sto- kids are always worried about things they shouldn't be worried about. And it's always, funny uh i've been married a couple times there's always humor in that but even in the even in the news like uh you know we've seen all these horrible mass shootings in the past week and it is horrible and then the el paso police captain says boy el paso is the last place i would expect a shooting like this to occur and to me it's horrible. The hor- shooting's horrible. But I'm thinking to myself, what he says, really? El Paso's the last place, you would think? Because it's kind of in my top ten of yeah. cities. Uh, it's, it's kind of on a border. It's a border town where you have the uh, uh, 12,000 people have con- uh, you know, unconcealed gun permits in, in El Paso. Only 4,000 people in New York City, which has... 12 times the population have uh, gun permits. So it's really not the last place you would consider. So there's something funny there, or something absurd, I should say. So that means there's, there's humor in there somewhere. And finding the absurd kind of helps you be honest about what's really happening in the world. It, it, it trains you to be honest about what's happening in the world. Yeah, I mean, look at it. Even, even with the advent of, uh, I call it the new, the new uh, extortion value, is with the Me Too movement all started out on a very positive note. I'm, I'm very supportive of getting these creeps and shutting them down. But now all of a sudden, I, got a, I just got a case the other day. Three years ago, guy was dating a gal in the in the office in a, in a company, and it was consensual. All of a sudden, he had to break up. He was married, and next thing he's getting sued for multi million dollars because she wasn't happy anymore, and it's extortion against the corporation. And you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna settle. It was a consensual right. relationship, two adult consensual adults having a relationship. But because that person was a boss, a higher level in that company, now all of a sudden you have these cases. Where does it stop? 
Right, and and you make, you make a great point. Like Me Too started with the greatest of values. Like, okay, right. women need a, to be listened to. Women need yes. a platform where they're respected, and we needed to discuss equality in all the ways where it doesn't exist. But then it turns into a, basically a financial strategy for so many women. Oh, so it becomes confused, right? So so when the actual secretary in Indiana is being sexually harassed, she no longer has the voice because everyone in Hollywood has you know made t a career or tens of millions off of, you know, and I shouldn't say every woman, but, you know, there, there's that group that has used this as a, a career strategy when actual women who don't have the same platform are being sexually harassed and can't speak about it. Right, like even with Fox. I mean, with Fox News, I was there 12 years. And then you get them coming out of the woodwork, making up stories just to get money. And they were just, uh, and I'll say her name because she named me in, a, in an affidavit, Tarantino's, whatever her name is. And she said, I bugged her phones and her computer. All lies. And they offered her a million dollars. She wouldn't take it. And then the case fell out from wondering she got nothing. My point is, you know, there's real... And then all of a sudden, what's what's horrible is the real victim, the real female victim who's being sexually harassed right. is not going to have as much uh, strength as the ones that are making these 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 things up. Look at Moonves. Let's move as I go back. 1985. Now there was allegations that came out that, well, we know his wife was a secretary there. And I mean, things that occurred in 1985 are different. It's a different world out there right now. People were dating people in the office, married people were dating each other. It was an acceptable thing. Now, if you're a boss, you can't consensually date anybody. Simple and simple. Well, well, you can't date anybody 40 years ago. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they get you, 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 you could have been 16 in 19, in the 1970s and somebody said, you know, male or female, somebody says, yeah. oh, you, you shoved them, uh, when they said, you know, yes or no or whatever. Yeah. And now 2019, like 40 years later, oh, he can't run for oh, Congress. He well, can't. We saw what happened with this guy for the United States Supreme Court. I mean, the, the woman couldn't even remember if he was there or not, and it happened 35 years ago, and you you forced yourself on me, you held me down and kissed me or something. I mean, we, we have to be real about some of the things. When I was a young man in my 20s, you know, who remembers what I did? If I became the mayor of New York City, that might have come out that, oh, when I was 22 years old, I forced myself on some gal that said no, and I said, yeah. I don't even remember, but this is what's in play now. Your whole life is now being retried. And, and But again, this speaks to what could be positive in a movement. People should always, like, again, that hashtag Me Too meant something. It's listen to Me yeah. Too. I have a voice. And that's an important message to get out and it's so hard for people to stay on track with a good movement with a good positive message and that's that's really what I get out of it is that this was a powerful enough movement to change lives and then it kind of shifted directions so everyone became a guilty until proven innocent sort of right. person one of the things that we developed and Carlo was involved with developing with with me is we developed a, a independent platform you know you have HR but people don't want to report to HR because they feel as though the HR people know the person that's the uh, uh, that's 
doing the harassment. So we put together an independent pl- platform where they advertise from the CEO, the general counsel, and the HR. There's another avenue. If you're a victim of discrimination, sexual harassment, or any kind of problems in the corporation, you can report it to a third party. Then we send our investigators, Title Seven. I actually hired the attorney um, from the EEOC. Charles Diamond was the attorney, 10 years senior investigator. So what we do is we investigate the thing as far as the allegation. And then what we do is we go to HR, we tell them we're going to talk to the supervisor, and there's another avenue for people to report it. So they can't say, I said to the head of the EEOC, what area can we can we help to minimize a corporate's exposure? He said, very simple. If there was another place to report other than HR, it would diminish, because now you have another avenue to report. Well, why didn't you report it to HR? Because he knew. But why didn't you reported to the third party independent investigators that we have in place. So it's another avenue for people to report. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. And you know, just just speaking of this and then looking at the absurdity, I don't know, like you're not on social media. You maybe you saw somewhere uh Rosanna Arquette, the actress, yeah. said on Twitter, uh I'm I'm disgusted with myself because I'm white oh, that and was privileged. Yesterday. That was so yeah. crazy. Right. So so the, there's there's something you know, f- funny in that, like that. Oh, it, oh, it looks like Caitlyn like Jenner. It, it, he he played the long game. He was he was also white and privileged. He switched over at the correct moment, played the long game, won the game. No, doesn't have to complain like Rosanna Arquette. So there's, there's so absurdity. What was the thing with Rosanna Arquette? She said that she's like disgusted with herself that she was born white and privileged. Really? Well, her, her uh, brothers. Is my co-star in that uh, movie? Uh, yeah, Mob, Mob Town. Town. Yeah, David. Uh, yeah, he then was a re- he's a wrestler too. You know, a lot, a lot of people. You take your lives. Look, was I one hundred percent right in everything I did? Even in my relationships as a husband, as a father, I was never around. You have your own peaks and valleys, like you did also. Sure. You can't. You can't judge your whole work on one or two mistakes that you made in your life. Your whole work is just one broad painting, and that's the way it should be in your life. You have ups and downs. I think that's what makes life interesting, no? Yeah, I mean, look, you don't want the downs. You don't like them. You try to minimize those valleys and make them as small as possible, but that is part of, of becoming an adult. It's part of growing. It's part yeah. of what you, you, you don't, you don't raise your kids to be polite kids. You raise your kids to be good adults. And by, to be a good adult, you have to be able to handle those, those valleys. You know, James, real quick, yeah. uh, we we're talking about comedy and, you know, we made some, you know, uh, absurd, uh, observations on on some things what do you think of the current climate in comedy where people get outraged if people make jokes about certain things that are off limits and things like that as I think, a comedy club owner i i think well you know it's different as a comedian and as an owner so an owner cares about the audience a little bit more than the art form for better or for worse but in terms of a comedian yeah you can't make jokes there are third rail topics that you cannot make any jokes about anymore a- anymore and i think that's unfortunate because we have that the comedy sort of, and, and the comedy is the only place where the truth is really allowed to come out. You're in a comedy club, so you know. Let's say someone uh, does something bad in their lives, horrible. They commit a crime. They're a murderer. They're a rapist. They 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 do all these. They're not going to go immediately to a comedy club and joke about it. The comedy club is the safe place where somebody could talk about these issues because. They, 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 again, a racist, a rapist, a murderer is not going to 
go from being a racist to going on a comedy club and making jokes about it. It's a, it's a different environment. I know, and it's it's uh, like Andrew Dice Clay is a good friend of mine, and we're going to get him on our podcast. And you know, Dice is very risque when he does his stuff. I want to slip underneath the chair some of the things he says about women. But I mean, that's Andrew Dice Clay. Don't go see him now. As far as there was a comedian on on this morning with Rosanna Scotto on Channel Five. He's a black comedian. He was mentioned about he doesn't do politics. He said if there's a guy sitting there with a uh, Make America Great hat on, he welcomes everybody. He stays away from the politics because people are so incest. You walk around with a Magna hat. Somebody's going to punch you in the face. You have a, a, a Trump sticker on your back bumper. They're going to break your window. It's gone so crazy. I mean, whatever, if I liked uh, President Obama or not, I'd never knock people for loving President Obama. He was my president, too. But it's gone so crazy to the other side. And I just can't understand if you say something right away, people want to hang you. Well, and, and there's absurdity there, too. Like, think about someone who was living in Harlem, you know, over the past 15, 20 years, they've seen yeah. a lot of changes, but for themselves personally, their lo- most people, their lives don't really change. It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter what the politics are. It doesn't matter what you think about the economy. Most people's lives don't change because of who the president is or because of what economic policy we decide to do about the environment. Someone in Harlem needs different kinds of help. Sometimes they need to help themselves. Sometimes they need, uh, you know, very, very, very rarely do they need we, help from the we, system. We, we've come a long way in my lifetime from the 1950s to now, and even through the 60s with the civil rights movement. And it, I mean, in reality, you know, the, the, the ethnicity has really developed now. Is family structure, family value, education that, you know, young African Americans didn't have. Now they have great opportunities and I love to see it. Everyone's equal. I don't look at a person as a black person, Asian person. I look at a person as a person and how you treat a person is the way they treat you back and forth. And I'm glad that this, that the, all these gods have been taken down. I want everyone to be interactive with each other and love each other in the sense that, Hey, look, did you have some hard time? I didn't didn't have any slaves, so don't blame me. Don't try to get reparations out of me because of slaves a hundred years ago. I didn't do it. I'm right. I now. was going to ask you for some reparations <laughs> later. I, I did 23 in me. I'm four percent African American. Well, I'm three percent so, African American. Well, we're both online at, at the window. Then I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to reject us? But, Carlo but, is a little but, bit more but, ethnic. But the name. point is, everyone's using that crush to advance themselves for something that hundred years. Next, they're going to take George Washington off the dollar bill. I mean, look at. Where do we stop it? Where do we really stop the the travesties of what happened in this country with our civil war, with brothers fighting brothers and cousins fighting cousins? That was a horrible time in our life, but we went through so we don't have to go back there. And right now, the divisions in this country are lining up now. If Trump gets reelected, there's going to be anger. If he doesn't get reelected, someone else is so much division here. And we need someone to bring us together, to bring us all together and stop the, 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 the friction amongst people. Yeah, and, and, I always, and I always ask people, how has your life specifically changed since 
2008, since 2016. Mm. Usually the changes they say have nothing to do with politics, and yet everyone's so furious. The only thing that might have changed is that they're more angry now than they were in 2008 yeah, for no I, reason. used to be my lefty friends, right, the, the liberals, were the very passive. Now they're the aggressive, and the conservatives now have become the passive, and it's just a reversal. And then with, with the Antifa and all this, and I was there in Washington during the inauguration, Black masks on, black battle things, shields, and they were beating people up. And these are supposed to be the, the liberal loving people, flower people. Now they become the violent people. It's like a reversal of a role. Yeah, and the, news, and the news doesn't report it. Like even this Antifa stuff, the, the journalist that got beaten up, oh, they, they blame him. And what, what, how come the news is upside down? Like it's, uh, it's insane. I don't I, even read the news. Just like social media, I think the news is worse than social media in general. I, I got uh, my uh, uh, my ex's uh, father is a big Fox News guy, and he wants to wear a Magna hat around. He's from Florida. I says, Pop, you can't wear it around. Somebody's going to punch you in the face. I mean, just think of what I'm just saying right now. Because you want to wear a, a hat because you believe in something, you have to be assaulted for that. And that's something that's only getting worse and worse, you know, Carlo? It is. It's, you know, through the election, it's probably going to get even more riled up, but yeah, and it's just something that, well, let's go off topic a little bit, because there was something about cryptocurrency. You know, I'm sorry to go off topic. We're all no over problem. the place, but it's very interesting uh, for a listing audience. It's good to be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, cryptocurrency, what's your feelings on it? I do think having, you know, every few thousand years, say, or a few hundred years, a new form of money comes and replaces the old form, because it's because there's too many problems. Like, Gold replaced barter because it's very simple to just transfer everything into gold and then make a transaction. Like, I can't trade shoes for rice because what if you only have enough rice for one shoe? It doesn't make sense. So it's better to make everything gold and do it that way. Then paper currency came along because what are you going to do? Carry all these bags of gold around when you make a move? Like, you can't transport gold around. So paper currency comes around. And that went through its various forms like fiat currency and so on. Now Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies solve a lot of the problems of paper currency. Like, there's no Federal Reserve that decides without your permission whether to print another trillion dollars or not. You, you can't, you there's can't. There's only so much of it. Now, you know, when I was in. At right, it's limited supply. With, with paper currency, they could say, ah, oh, here's a button. I'm going to press it. Oh, another trillion dollars just printed. I was at the SALT conference. That's a. Scaramucci. With Anthony. I've been going there since 09. I was original keynote speaker back in 09. <laughs> So I ran into these guys, and it was a thing the size of a wallet where they had diamonds inside there. Diamonds in a plexiglass thing was a $100,000 value of diamonds. So in other words, if you bought the currency, it was like a cryptocurrency, but it was backed by real diamonds of quality that were in there. I mean, that's interesting in a sense. It's interesting, but then you look at the diamond market. There is no exchange for diamonds, and De Beers arguably has created a monopoly situation, so it's hard to know the real value of a, of a diamond. Whereas cryptocurrencies, there's only supply and demand. There's no Federal Reserve. There's no if I want, if you're in China and I want to send you some money, I, I have to go through seven different banks, all with fees. There might be human error all along the way. Every government agency on both sides can see what I'm doing. Cryptocurrency solves all of those problems. And so I do think in some form or other, we're seeing money evolve, just like every industry evolves. Where's your safeguards? Uh, well, it depends. Like, the, 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 the fact that 
there's a limited supply. It's extreme. It's possible to hack a brokerage that's holding onto your cryptocurrency, but you can't actually hack the cryptocurrency itself. So what I do with mine is I'll keep it in a safety deposit box, or I'll, or I'll you know, do other things with it. So I'm not relying on any uh, security that I don't trust. So, so. You know, the, the, with Bitcoin and with other cryptocurrencies, not everyone, but with most of them, there are a lot of safeguards to prevent kind of manipulation or to prevent uh, hacking or to prevent stealing or to prevent forging. With U.S. currency, there isn't those safeguards. With paper currency, there isn't. People hack banks all the time, like you mentioned. People take extra fees. The the the, the central bank of any country could print trillions of dollars, and then there's massive inflation. Yeah. Human, you know, citizens don't have any control over that. But with cryptocurrencies, you usually you usually do have some control over that. So you're, James, you're endorsing cryptocurrency. In general, not every cryptocurrency, but I like Bitcoin and I like the the evolution of money um, I think is happening right now as, as we speak. Do you think that speculation cryptocurrency is preventing it from being an actual currency? Yeah, I think uh, I think speculation of anything is, what happens is, this is, the, this is like the history of financial innovation. There's, there's an amazing thing that happens, some financial innovation like you know, the dot-com IPOs or, or mortgage-backed securities or, in this case, crypto. So first, there's the financial innovation. People do well with it. But then people get speculative. Then there's some crime. Uh, regulators have to get involved. There's a boom. There's a bust. And then on the other side of that, then you see how this industry really grows. So we're still getting to the other side of crypto where we'll see how the industry really grows. In, in 2001, everyone thought, okay, that's it for the internet. It was a fraud. Now, trillions and trillions of dollars later, we all see the internet was for real. Real estate, it's not like real estate died forever. So housing prices are back now. The mortgage-backed securities were a good thing. Now now real estate's back. It was just abused by, mm-hmm. you know, it had to be regulated. Crypto, was there's too much speculation. Now it's died down. Now the price is going back up. It's gone from 3500 back to 12000 in the past few months. So we're seeing it kind of evolve into a real industry. Wow. Well, James... We really were all over the board, huh, Carlo? Yeah, and, and you guys, you, 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 you coming on my show when Investigations.com comes out or when yeah, the Irishman yeah, comes so out? Like, certainly, we'll come on your show. And, excellent. Uh, I really want to thank you so much. Well, we, we do something every week uh, at the end. We do Punk of the Week. Now, Punk of the Week could be one thing or person, an issue. What is bothering you this week, James? I would say, that's a good question. I would say I'm the punk of the week for me because I found myself again thinking to myself, why did somebody say this bad thing about me? When I know better not to obsess on that, I, I found myself thinking that. you were looking at the social media, right? I was looking at social media ah. and, and, and I need to take ownership of my own, my own agony over it. I, and that's how I move that's past why it. I don't look at that crap. I, I agree with you. What about you, Carla? What's your. Uh, I have a punk of the week. I won't say his name, but he's an electrician that was supposed to come to my house and do some work. And he never showed up. He left me all all day hanging. Well, my punk of the week was watching Mayor Big Bird de Blasio last night on my friend's show, Sean Hannity. And Sean had him where he wanted him. He didn't throw any knockout punches. He didn't hit him with some with the $900 million that his wife used for mental health that she doesn't know how to explain went to nonprofits. She didn't hit him with the renewable school for $800 million that he pissed away. The housing debacle in New York City and then with the Rikers Island removal, not fixing the problem, just moving the problem. There were so many issues Sean could have knocked him out with. I'm very disappointed with my... I said 
sent them information early in the week. I was with Sean on Sunday, and I said, do him, man. This guy's ripe. And all he would do was he asked him a question, and he would not answer the question. You just got that face that I'd like to punch. And that's not a threat. That's something that I feel I wouldn't do it, but I feel like I just want to clock him once, and I'll take the um, the uh, misdemeanor arrest for that. But I, that's not, all it is. Not, it's a misdemeanor. Well, as long as I don't break his jaw, then it's a felony. So right. I don't know. That's a, you got to hold yourself back a little. Oh, give him a half a shot. <laughs> you, 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 were you ever a boxer? You have a belt oh, of I've, a boxer. I've, 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 I've fought all kinds of uh, fights. I'm best in street fighting, but uh, it's it's just a way of growing up. My whole life, I was a little guy. If I didn't fight, I'd get my ass kicked. So I learned how to fight pretty well. And I'm not, and that was my life. But how could people find you, James? Uh, you know, if they just Google James Altucher, they'll see all sorts of ways. A L T U C H E R. But I have a podcast. I have books. I have all sorts of things going on. But I just they could find me right here on the on the Bo, on your show, the Bo Deedle, the What was it? One rough or one tough. one tough one tough one tough podcast. One tough podcast. They could find me here. Yeah, great. Thank All right, you. James. Thank you very much for being a very very interesting conversation. Uh, you could subscribe to our show. Give us a great rating. Tell your friends. Follow us on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at the Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You can find me. I'm CJ Catunio on all platforms. We appreciate our fans. You can send us any emails, all your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, one tough podcast at gmail.com. We got a great month lined up as far as guests go, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs>